0: Matthew chapter 11 tonight. Uh, Last week we had the privilege of learning about the 12 disciples and just like with the other gospels we saw such a variety of personalities, we saw a variety of of careers, we see a variety of ideologies even where they came from, how they were brought up, different levels of income. And you look around the room tonight and you see all these people and bundled up, certain people are bundled up and then other people are shorts, t-shirt, and carrying an iced drink in their hand. It's beautiful to see the body of Christ. E- even just the privilege that we have a meeting on Wednesday night, I-, I was reminded, especially this last week, just watching the men of the church gather together and help Dominic move his mom into his house. And, and just the personalities and, and the... Gifts that are being expressed and used. And some people were tearing down part of the fence or removing part of the fence. And other people were making sure everything was being put in correctly and unloading. And then you have these guys that are very meticulous and making sure, oh, we have to actually sweep out the truck. It's one of those things that you have the privilege of seeing men work and people in the church work. But tonight we get to see Jesus' personal life. In fact, in the very beginning of Matthew chapter 11, we see a unique story that's only found, by the way, in, in Matthew, and it's his relationship to John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist is going to be the only one that, by name, Jesus gives a sermon about. It's one of those beautiful pictures in the life of Jesus where he expresses this, this deep emotion toward his cousin. Who, who, by the way, prepared the way for him? who's going to die by beheading? In fact, we read this the beginning of this story here in Matthew chapter eleven verse one. and now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples uh, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And so, Father, tonight as we approach this beautiful chapter, the these chapters that just over and over again, we can just read and read and get new things out of every time we, we read them, Your good news to us. And just the privilege of reading through the perspective of Matthew, this tax collector, and being able to see you through his eyes. And just the beauty of this relationship that we're gonna see with his cousin John the Baptist. And so, Lord, as we approach this tonight, as we maybe coming in from a long day of work or a long day just period, and, all the things that we have to deal with in life, and just to see that Jesus too had these weights upon him, these stresses, Lord, and he knew always who to bring them to, just as you reach out to us, even Jesus Christ and his humanity has to deal with the weight of of grief of of mourning for someone that he loved, for someone that that he he cared for deeply. And so, Lord, help us as we, we get a little glimpse into this tonight, Lord, to have that same desire that you had, that that we would have that desire for those that are in need of the gospel. Those around us, especially this time of year when there's so many people without hope. and We have hope. We can share that with those around us. So, Lord, I ask that you speak to us clearly tonight. Speak to us with power from your word. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You remember from the beginning of the book of Matthew, we got a glimpse into John. Remember, he was the one that was predicted not only in the book of of Malachi, but also throughout the minor prophets, major prophets as well, that there would be one who would come that would prepare the way for the Messiah. And this is John the Baptist. And at the beginning of his ministry, he had this huge megachurch. In fact, if you read in the beginning of the book of Matthew, it says that everyone was coming out from the areas of Judea to see John the Baptist, to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. But then after gaining this large following, this large megachurch, if you will, he told all those people, including his disciples, by the way, go and follow Jesus. He pointed everyone uh, to Jesus. So even at least two of his disciples, John and Andrew, also went and followed him. A lot of those people left John and followed after Jesus Christ. And now, where is John? We find him in Matthew chapter 11, now in a prison cell. This once popular man has now offended someone in political power and is now in a prison cell. And he tells two of his disciples, go ask Jesus if he's the one that we've been waiting for. Go ask him if he's the Messiah. And you would think that John, especially someone that had preached Jesus, someone that had preached the Messiah, someone that had preached repentance, would have this firm, fixed foundation in their head about who Jesus was. But even John who is in prison at this time, he has questions. He, he, he has these these questions in his heart. What was all that work for naught? Or, or is Jesus the one that we're truly looking for? And look at what Jesus says there in, in verses 4 and 5. It's always about prophecy. It's always about prophecy. The Messiah had to fulfill prophecy starting in chapter 1 verse 1 of matthew matthew's laying it out very succinctly very logically jesus is the one that fulfills all prophecy he is prophetically powerfully fulfilling prophecy and look at the various things that jesus tells these disciples to tell to john the blind see We, we we saw at least three people that were healed of blindness later on we're going to see even more in fact that's the most common of the various ailments that jesus heals the lame walk remember that guy that was let down into the very lap of jesus christ in that crowded house and jesus told him rise up take your bed and walk and then in the very last chapter that we just read the death here The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus fulfilling prophecy. And John, knowing that the Messiah had to fulfill these various prophecies, he understands this. But look at the very last one that he says there in verse 6. What what does it say there in verse 6? And blessed is he, who is not offended because of me. B- blessed is the one who's not ashamed of me. B- blessed is the one who, who's not ashamed to stand up for me. You see, this is what John the Baptist had done his entire career. What had he left? He had left the priesthood. Remember, his dad was a high priest. His dad was actually in... Uh, The Holy of Holies, when that angel came and told him, he's going to have a son who's going to prepare the way for uh, the Messiah. From from the the, from even before he was born, even all the way into the Old Testament, it had been predicted that there would be one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And now Zechariah in the very Holy of Holies, being told that he's going to have a son who's going to prepare the way for the Lord, and his name is going to be John. God is gracious. The one who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And so his whole life has been about preparation for the Messiah. And now he's in a prison cell. And what does Jesus say at the very end? Blessed are those who are not offended of me. Blessed are those who are willing to stand up for the Messiah. And who was it that made his whole career about that? It was John. What is Jesus doing? He's encouraging him, even from that prison cell. You stood up for the truth, and you are in prison because of it. Look at what else Jesus says there in verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. This is now a sermon for the next 11 verses, 12 verses here that are all about John the Baptist. Can you imagine if someone were to give a sermon about your life? And this is what Jesus is doing about John the Baptist. He doesn't do this with any other person, only with John the Baptist. And by name, by the way, concerning John. And he does this in such an amazing emotional way because not only were they cousins, but they shared a ministry. It it was this ministry along the Jordan River that for months or even for approximately about a year where where they had this time where where they were baptizing people that were coming out and and baptizing them in the Jordan River. It was John the Baptist that baptized Jesus, right? And he, he was the one that got to see the dove come down, the Holy Spirit come down upon jesus what did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind what did you go out to see a man clothed in soft garments indeed those who wear soft gar- clothing are in king's houses what did john the baptist look like you guys remember he was clothed in camel's hair right the the, the stiff uh camel's Hair, he, he ate locusts and, and wild honey. He lived out in the wilderness. He could have been a priest in nice robes and a turban and, and could have even worn the the various accouterments of the priest. But instead, where did he live? Out in the wilderness. Why? Because his ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah. What else does it say there? Verse 9, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. In fact, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. All those prophets that had prophesied with power about what the Messiah would do and what he would accomplish, and now John the Baptist, the last of those prophets. The one who came in the what was called the spirit of Elijah. And it says there, for this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. This is Malachi chapter 3, the very last book of the Old Testament. That last book that was written 400 years before Jesus was born. The, the very last book of the Old Testament that pointed the way to uh, the Messiah himself. And who's going to come and prepare the way There's going to be this messenger. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that an amazing compliment to have given to you? Wow. Isn't that amazing? To, to have that, and by the way, he's in a prison cell right now. He's in a prison cell. What, did he have any earthly rewards? Did he have a, have a nice place to live, or, or which, which he could have. He, he could have been on the church salary. He could have been part of the priestly establishment. He had the genealogy. He had the right, but what had he given up for Jesus Christ? not only the the title or the the accolades but even his very career giving that up for jesus now he's in a prison cell but then jesus says this and he's talking about you by the way but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he Do you see that? That John the Baptist had this great ministry. He prepared the way of the Lord. He got to baptize Jesus. He saw the dove uh, coming down, but those that are going to come later, th- those that would uh, come after, they're going to be even greater. We have the p- privilege of having the Holy Spirit that, that, that indwells every single one of us that know Jesus Christ personally. That steel, that comforter, you get the dove on you. Isn't that amazing? John the Baptist didn't get the dove on him. It was Jesus that got the dove. We have the privilege of knowing that we have the Holy Spirit living within us. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. You'll do greater things, right? Why? Not because of who they were, but because of who was going to live in them. This is the privilege that we have, too. In fact, in verse 12 there, it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If you didn't believe me before, you see it right there. Who is the ending of the prophetic word? John. All the way leading up to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the exclamation point of all of prophecy. See, it points to Him, and He's fulfilling it in their very midst. Verse fourteen, and if you are willing to receive it, He is Elijah, who is to come. You have ears to hear. Let Him hear. Wow. Remember, Elijah was one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. It was Elijah, by the way, who didn't die. What did Elijah get to do? You get to go right up to heaven, right? In that fiery chariot. Just that understanding of, of seeing what uh, the, the ministry of John the Baptist was. And, and remember, it was Elijah, by the way, who also had these struggles in his life. It was Elijah who, after all those prophets of Baal had failed and they'd been slaughtered at the river there at the bottom of that amazing mountain that Elijah was performing all these miracles at. And then he, what does he do? He runs away. A queen wants to kill him. And he himself wanted to die. He himself had that heart that just want to give up, Lord. I'm tired. What does John the Baptist do? And, and by the way, in the book of of matthew it 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 ends here but in the book of john we we see more we'll we'll see that when we get actually get to the book of john but can you imagine what jesus is doing here in not only the presence of the people that had heard john the baptist baptize people and and give sermons and, and cry out to the people for repentance and can you imagine what jesus is doing he's giving this sermon about john the baptist And when those two disciples go back to John, do do you think that's an encouragement to John the Baptist? As he's there in uh, the prison cell. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him, by the way. We know the ending of the story. But John the Baptist didn't know at this time whether he was going to be released or whether he was going to be killed. And then for these disciples to go back and to tell him about what Jesus Uh, says what would it do to your heart would that be an encouragement to you we have the scripture we have the and of course thank god we have more than just the red but when jesus speaks these red words do they speak to your heart they encourage you the times maybe this time of year where it feels like it's it's overwhelming and and you feel like the world is against you or you feel this great weight or whatever it is And, and to come to the scriptures and ask the lord please talk to me please speak to me and just like john the baptist can you be encouraged maybe even these same verses But unfortunately, everyone isn't like that. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says there in verses 16 through 19. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions. Even back 2,000 years ago, people complained about the next generation. Right? Just like people do every single generation. But, but what Jesus is saying is true not only for his time but also throughout time as well. there's going to be people that are going to reject there, there, there's going to be people that reject uh, you they're they're going to make comparison. they're going to put you down. In fact he likens this and and this isn't a quotation from the Old Testament uh, this is just a like a proverb or a rhyme if you will a, A small song. Uh, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. No matter what we do, you don't want to join us. No matter how many times we ask, you don't want to uh, join us. Look at what it says there in verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he was a glutton and a wine-bibber, a, a friend of tax collectors and, and sinners. No, no matter what you do, you can't please everybody. Because John the Baptist, he had a disciplined life, Remember? He had a very, he couldn't have wine. He couldn't have anything from the the vineyard. couldn't have raisins, couldn't have grapes, anything like that. He was literally a Nazarite from a birth, just like Samson was in the Old Testament. So he didn't drink. He didn't hang out with the people that smoked and cussed and all those things. He didn't date the women that did that too, right? But what Jesus did He comes, and now he's hanging out with sinners because he's showing them a better way. He hung out with tax collectors like Matthew. In fact, he makes one of them his own disciple. And then they say just as bad things about Jesus. He's a drunk. But did Jesus drink? No. What did he do? He hung out with them to show them a better way. And this is the privilege that we have. Because what does it say in the very last phrase? But wisdom is justified by her children. People by how they act. People by how their fruits are. Because people can talk about you all they want. But so many times, thank God, who has the bigger voice? The world? Or Jesus? The world or Jesus? And I hope we really take this to heart because especially again this time of year, that it's so easy to get caught up in the hoopla, if you will, the gossip or the things that we just, you know, as we're going to learn later on, the idle talk of the world, rather than really understanding the worthiness that God sees us as His children, as who He sees us as. There are certain people that will always be prejudiced toward us no matter what we do. Always. Where we can never change their mind no matter what we do. It's that relative or that, that friend or, or that person, that coworker, whatever it is. And no matter what you do, you can do it 180 and they'd still say something bad about what you do. And it's just that stuck prejudiced in their mind toward you, or sometimes even us as well. And it's easy to get caught in that those thoughts of they'll never change or, or they'll never be right. But yet, thank God for his grace, he does the same thing with us this is the what it means but wisdom is justified by her children the acts of the people will show what they actually believe in fact these same people later on we're going to see violence toward the very kingdom of heaven continues on there in verse 20 and then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Corzin! Woe to you, Beth- Bethesda! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done entire in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. These were the cities that were on the northern Sea of Galilee. In fact, I have a picture here just to put it in your mind exactly uh, where these cities are. Remember, most of the ministry of jesus christ is around what is called the sea of galilee you see this region here in fact if you were to go to the sea of galilee today you could actually ride a bike all the way around or even drive all the way around the sea of galilee we saw that jesus had crossed over to Gergessa. i know the words are small there but on the it would be on your right hand side there that's where jesus healed the person that was demon-possessed and then on the other side where those flags are at the very top there, you see Bethesda, you see Capernaum, and Chorazin. And all those places are right on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. This would have been the place where he would have done the Beatitudes. A lot of his healing ministry was done in these areas. And yet people still rejected Jesus Christ. They still rejected that he was the Messiah. And what does it say about these places? This is scary, by the way. Verse 22, But I say to you, will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the days of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, what is the comparison? That that if Sodom and Gomorrah had Jesus walk in their midst and perform these miracles, they would have repented, but you don't. Wow. That's scary. To, To have the understanding that your heart could be so hard like a rock, your neck stiff, that you won't repent. In fact, this is the very nicknames that God always gave the Israelite: hard-hearted and stiff-necked. This is what he's saying about Capernaum and Bethesda and Chorazin there on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 24, and it sums it up very succinctly, but I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Why? Why? Because Sodom and Gomorrah, all they had was Lot. And Lot left. Remember? And 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 Bethesda and Chorazin and all those places in the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, they had the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walking in their midst, performing miracles, fulfilling prophecy. Wow. But By the way, when, when you read these texts, a lot of times we put ourselves into these stories. But the understanding is when you tell someone about Jesus Christ, it's not up to you. It's not up to you. When, when you tell someone about jesus christ and you actually you know uh, whether it's quote from the word of god or tell your testimony or or show the love of christ to someone uh whether it's you know someone that you know or even just a stranger that, that that's the power of the holy spirit behind your words and, and we're just called to be watchmen we're just called to be the messengers. and who's the one uh that brings about the harvest. It's Jesus. He, he works. He works behind it. In fact, the disciples had already been told to go. They had been split up, the 12 disciples, and Jesus is by himself at this time. In fact, in there in verse 20, we see what Jesus says there. And at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and I've revealed them to babes. I hope you underline that. I hope you highlight that verse. Because we elevate human wisdom and accomplishment so much even in the church. And some of the most amazing nuggets of truth get given to people that don't have all the education. That are just willing, just like what, what Kat and Rebecca let us in a, a time of silence where, where God speaks and powerfully, gr- greater than any education, gr- greater than any human knowledge. That God is perfect and is revealing to those that are, even as it describes here, as babes or innocent or even ignorant, even father. For so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal them. How do you know God? What's the only way to God? What's the only way to know God? It's always through. The Son, Jesus. And Jesus says this multiple times in multiple different ways. It's beautiful how he says this, not only in the book of Matthew, but in every single one of the Gospels, there's, there's always a unique way that Jesus describes this relationship between him and his Father. The, the, just the beauty of seeing this. Verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Is your heart heavy? Right now. You need to hear that verse tonight. You need to hear that verse this week. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Wow. Wow. It can be overwhelming all the things that we think we have to do or or all the lists that we have to accomplish. And, of course, this time of year it just compounds itself, right? What is Jesus telling the people? Lay your yoke upon me. By the way, this word rest, it's one of those beautiful words that that goes above and beyond anything that we can truly experience fully in this world. Normally, we go to sleep, right? And most of the time, that's supposed to give us rest. But sometimes what happens the next morning? Does it feel like you got a good night's rest? Yeah, especially the older you get, right? And you understand that even those things that are promised, especially in our world today with an industry that that is built upon billions and billions of dollars invested into helping people to sleep, right, where you just have to take this pill or you have to have this app or whatever it is, and it's not to knock those things. Thank God that we have those things. But the privilege is to know that real rest comes from Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can truly give us rest. We rest in him. We rest in who he is. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you all have heard this picture many times. I'm sure you've heard sermons about this. The yoke, of course, was put upon an ox, but it was never put upon a single ox. It was always put upon two oxes. And normally the more mature or the stronger ox had the greater load. And this is what Jesus does. We're yoked with Jesus Christ, and he bears the burden for us. It's truly a privilege to see that. But Jesus, as he's going through, he's describing all these things. He he He's giving these, these sermons first about John the Baptist and then about the various things that are happening in not only the disciples' lives, but also in his own life as well. And, and then you get a glimpse into the opposition that Jesus had to feel or felt in chapter 12 there. In fact, over and over again, in this chapter, we have various cultural things that are brought out. And if you really coming from an American perspective, coming from a Western perspective, if you will, and reading these stories, of what Jesus is going through, a lot of times we don't really get the full weight of these things. In fact, the very first one that we see here is about Jesus walking through these grain fields. Chapter 12, verse 1, it said, And at that time, Jesus went through the grain field on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Now, we don't really have grain fields and beggars fields. We have fruit trees, and we have vineyards and those kind of things. It would be like walking through a vineyard on the sabbath and of course this day we know that the sabbath was always supposed to be set aside as a day of rest jews are not allowed to work on the sabbath they're only allowed to travel a certain distance on the sabbath it's called the sabbath day's journey or the sabbath day's amount of places they're allowed to go Uh, they were supposed to go to the synagogue of course on the sabbath they weren't allowed to work all their preparation for their food had to be done on Friday night before sundown. Even if you go to Israel today, you can't even go into an elevator and push the button because you would work. You can't look into a mirror. All mirrors have to be covered on the Sabbath because if you look into the mirror, you might see a hair out of place and you might pluck that hair. And if you pluck a hair, you're working. In fact, this is what they're doing. This is exactly what they're doing. They're plucking on the Sabbath. What they would do is, I don't know if you've ever had really fresh grain or fresh, this is better than your granola, okay? It's better than anything you've ever tasted because what they would do is they would go through and they'd just take a little part of the kernels, the wheat kernels off the top of the grains, and they would rub them in their hands like this, and then they blow the chaff away, and what was left is these beautiful, plump wheat kernels, and then they would eat them like snacks. And so, what they were doing this on the Sabbath, they were plucking, they were working, and they were blowing at the same time. And this, of course, was considered as work by the Pharisees. And what do the Pharisees do? They pounce on it right away they pounce on it right away, accusing Jesus and the disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And when you really understand what they're doing, it's it's such a minuscule thing. But what are the Pharisees doing? They're expanding it out. The Pharisees, not only believed in the first five books of the Bible, what we call the the Pentateuch, but they also expanded on those laws. It, It wasn't just that you couldn't travel a certain distance on the Sabbath. It wasn't just that you couldn't work on the Sabbath. They beat it to death, and they beat the people to death with the law as well. So much that no one could get away with anything without having some sort of punishment. This overlooking, and by the way, they're spying on the disciples. They're spying on Jesus, right? Can you imagine not only Jesus and the disciples walking through those cornfields, but who's spying on them? The Pharisees, making sure that they don't pluck, making sure that they don't work. Jesus, of course, he's always wise. He knows the scriptures. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? By the way, this is worse than what Jesus and his disciples were doing. He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. In the temple itself, there was what was called the holy of holies this is where only the the high priest could go once a year and then you had the holy place which was before that it was twice as big and there was a table there and next to the table there are these beautiful lamps that had to be lit every single day had to be trimmed and the oil replaced and everything like that and then between those two lamps you had a table and on the table was this what was called the showbread and the showbread had to be baked every single day, replaced every single day, and it was for the priests who served in the temple. And David, of course, he wasn't even king at this time when Jesus is telling the story, but what he's saying, this was the time when David was running from Saul and he was so tired, in fact, He didn't have any weapons at this time. He he was completely without any form of support. He was completely hungry. He goes to the temple. He goes to this place. And and, and the priest there gives him the showbread. By the way, he dies for this, by the way, too. And he gives it to David, who's not even from the tribe of Levi, who's not even a priest. What does Jesus say in verse 5? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? What do you think priests do on the Sabbath day? They work, right? They have to work. They bake the bread. They do the sacrifices. All these things that go on in the Sabbath ceremony itself. Or even pastors, right? Many people, especially in certain parts of our country too, on on Sundays you're not even allowed to mow your lawn in certain areas, right? Or or certain places aren't even, even open. Thank God that people stand up for that. But you understand we can push it to the ultimate limit of it is a law and you can't do anything. Jesus goes behind the meaning of this fourth of the Ten Commandments Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. What is Jesus saying? They're guiltless. They're not doing anything wrong. What, what are they doing? They're just satisfying their hunger. Are they allowed to eat on the Sabbath? Yes, people were allowed to eat on the Sabbath. But what are they doing? What's the meaning behind it? Are they fellowshipping with Jesus? Are they actually fulfilling the real meaning of the fourth commandment, which says, keep the Sabbath day holy? Keep the Sabbath day holy. Are you really understanding what that means? When whatever I do on that day, is it for the Lord? Or is it for myself? And what were the disciples doing? They were fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. Do you think that's an amazing thing to do? Yeah. What were the Pharisees doing, by the way? They were accusing on the Sabbath. By the way, even in the next part, in the next part, we understand a little bit better, but in both cases, they're still accusing Jesus Christ. They're, they're, they're looking for ways, even on the Sabbath day, they're spying, and you can even go into that too, right? That's work, right? If you're spying on someone, right? But this is the amazing thing. And, and anyone here that has a friend that that is very law-oriented and and whether it's the saturday whether it's sunday wh- whatever day people do it on we get very legalistic in fact whole denominations are based around making sure that we keep the sabbath day in in such a way that it has to be on a certain day or it has to be done a, a certain way what does jesus say and and this is more important then even the verses that talk about every single day as holy as unto the Lord, all the, and those are wonderful, but this is more important than that. What does it say in verse eight? "For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath." Wow. It sends chills up your back. Who do we actually spend time with is more important than the day? It's the motive behind what we do. Do I keep the day holy or do I make it about me? Do I set that time aside for Jesus Christ because he's the Lord of the Sabbath? In fact, he was the one that rested on the Sabbath, right? We know that Jesus Christ was there. He's the one that created the entire universe. It was him that rested. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And do I actually make him Lord on that day? Or do I make it about me? The Pharisees, they were nitpicking. They were wanting to make it about themselves. They were wanting to make it about their career. It was all about what they had designed for the Sabbath. And even putting this burden upon the people... So much so that the very next, whether it's the next week or a month later, we don't know exactly, but it's another Sabbath, okay? On another Sabbath, verse 9, now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. Behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're setting him up. They're setting him up. Not, not only the, the plucking and the grinding of the wheat, but also now purposely seeing if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. And, and you can see the smirk in Jesus' eyes, by the way. You can see the smirk on his face when he does this. It, 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 it's really amazing how Jesus, and it's always in God's omniscience, it's always in God's wisdom how he does this, he, instead of being manipulated by them, he overcomes their manipulation. And he does it in every way. It's always in a creative way. Look, look at what he does. The, the Pharisees, that they might accuse him, of course, their motive behind this. And he said to them, what is there a man among you who has one sheep? Evolves into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep. I I don't know how far and wide that look for this man with this withered hand. I don't know if the, the person actually lived in this area or went to this church or whatever, but this is the setup that they're doing. And they're purposely seeing if they can get Jesus Christ into a catch-22 situation or into this conundrum where no matter what he does, it's going to be wrong. Because they can accuse him both ways. They'd always try to design their questions, design their tactics in such a way that they'd always try to catch Jesus Christ in these situations. And this is why Jesus, in chapter 11, when he's saying there's no way you can, this this prejudice that people have, you can't convince everybody. And so what does he do? And this is very important to understand. Just like in the previous section, just like with the wheat. Who is the Lord of the Sabbath? And who is the one that's going to fulfill prophecy right in their very midst? And do it in such a way that everyone knows who he is. how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good or excuse me, therefore it is lawful to do good on the sabbath any of you if you lost a sheep down in a well on the Sabbath day, you'd definitely go and get it out the The law made provisions for that. The the law always made provisions for doing good. Okay. Then he said to the man, "Stretch out your hand." He stretched out, and he was restored as whole as the other. By the way, Jesus doesn't even touch the guy. Who who's the one that's doing the stretching? Who's the one that's doing the stretching? The guy who's being healed, right? This withered hand, however, it was. We don't know exactly. But he had to stretch out his hand. He he had to work on the Sabbath. And who's showing himself as Lord of the Sabbath? Jesus. Power, prophetic power, healing the lame, as he had said in the previous chapter. Healing the lame, showing them that he was the Messiah and how hard was their hearts. How hard was their heart? No matter what you do, we're not going to believe. No matter what you do, we're not going to believe. I'm trying to catch Jesus in these horrific situations. Just a couple more verses here. Then the Pharisees went out and they plotted against him that they might destroy him. How hard was their heart? How evil was their heart? How corrupt were their hearts? All they wanted to do was destroy Jesus Christ. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, and this is from Isaiah chapter 42, and I encourage you to go home and read this tonight. Uh, This is one of those beautiful sections in the book of Isaiah and again isaiah 66 chapters it it, it's made up of these two sections verses or chapters one all the way to 39 40 all the way to 66 and and just the privilege of seeing the messiah fleshed out by isaiah written some 600 years before even jesus christ was born some of the most accurate prophecies of the crucifixion some of the most accurate prophecies of the virgin birth of jesus christ but here it, 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 it does it in a, in a beautiful way. Isaiah portrays what Jesus is going to do in terms of his healing ministry. Verse 18, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. These are non-Jews. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets he's not there to argue he's not there to in any way cause what we consider dissension or division or anything like that in terms of what he's doing in his very ministry he's going to do it with the pharisees he's going to do it with the religious leaders but not with the gentiles or non-jewish people or the common people or the people around the sea of galilee what he's doing why is he coming he's coming for those that need To hear the truth. The love of God. In fact in verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. Till he sends forth justice. To victory. And in his name. Gentiles. Will trust. It's not the religious people. Who are going to believe. It's not those people. that that are set in their ways in terms of the law, who is the Messiah going to convince? Non-religious people. And even as it says here, non-Jewish people as well. Wow. It's those that hadn't even heard about the law or hadn't even heard about the Old Testament or didn't know a lot about it. it. It was those people that Jesus is reaching out to. Why does he do that, by the way? And thank God he does that even today. Those of us that don't have a single drop of Jewish blood, Gentiles, right? Why does he do that even today? What Jesus does is he reaches out to people that need to hear about him. Not those that are filled up with all the religious things or the traditions or thinking that it, but somehow that I have the right to earn God's favor. What Jesus is doing is he's reaching out to those that understand that, that they are nothing without Jesus. That, that they can't earn their way. That, they, that no one can keep all the law. That no one can even follow any of the law and be righteous my righteousness comes from jesus christ and when we truly understand that as jesus is, and read the rest of that chapter because it's really beautiful how isaiah brings it all about again an old testament chapter an old testament book speaking not about the jews but even about non-jewish people receiving the messiah receiving jesus christ it's absolutely amazing but even today especially again this time of year when we're around people and whether it's people without hope or people just having questions or whatever that that you would ask lord please give me wisdom please give me wisdom to know how to talk to those and god has put someone on your heart even right now he's breaking your heart and, and pray for that person before you even talk to that person. Pray for that person. Lord, give me the right words to say. Lord, help me to say the right thing. And watch the Lord work. Because who is the Lord of everything? Jesus Christ. Lord Father, I thank you so much that you are here. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that we get to have the privilege of indwelling within us. That seal, that promise that we have. Lord, as we approach these amazing chapters, these, these amazing gospels, Lord, and we see a glimpse not only to the personal life of Jesus, his relationship with his disciples, his relationship with John the Baptist, and then the very opposite, his relationship with the Pharisees, and just how you and your, your infinite wisdom are able to deal with all these situations. And we in our own lives, we too have these relationships that that may be very difficult where we have people in our lives that all they want to do is just see us fail. All, all they want to do is just to catch us in traps. And Lord, please help us to have that desire that that you had, first of all, for desiring that they would repent, but more importantly, that, that we show who you are in our very walk and not fall into the same trap that they themselves are in. Where we'd want to somehow get revenge against them or do the same thing to them. So Lord, help us to see you work. Help us to rely upon you in those situations where it's not my reputation that's at stake. It's not my honor but it's you, Lord, and to see you work in amazing ways. Lord, help us to have humble hearts where, where we rely upon you. where we see you in these situations in our lives where, where you give us the rest that we need, where you give us the help that we need, where, where you give us the power that we need in those situations. So Lord, I ask you bless these my friends and my family. I ask as we whether we remember to read Isaiah 42 or not, or read the next couple of chapters or not, Lord, that you would speak to us in amazing ways in other parts of the scriptures, Lord. That you would speak to us in amazing ways this coming week and, and really feed us from your word, Lord. That we would find true rest that only can be found in you. So Lord, we ask that you would help us to be used for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.